Good morning. Kind of nice with that uh, music upstairs. Just lightly bleeding through in the background. I felt like the angels were singing for a minute. And then I got a big head. I was like, the angels are singing. As I get up, they're like introducing me. <laughs> this is kind of cool. I don't think that's what's going on. All right. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor James Fife. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. If you're um, new, uh, well, welcome. Good to have you. If you're old, um, welcome. Still good to have you. I'm glad you keep coming back. If we haven't met, I'd like to meet you personally afterwards. Um, this is Faith Fellowship. Uh, Del Thomas is up here in the front. He's the leader of this group, but uh, every once in a while, we do something different. And this is one of those different weeks. Um, anytime we have a missionary prayer night, a missions-focused Tuesday night, we follow that up with a missions-focused uh, Sunday morning here in Faith Fellowship. And so that's what's going on this week. Technically, Tuesday was a family prayer, but here's what we do. Uh, so, you know, we do a prayer night every Tuesday. If you if you don't know the way our church works, it's corporate prayer. And once, you know, one one Tuesday a month, uh, say on the even months, we'll do family. One Tuesday a month on the odd months, we'll do missions prayer. So there's always a you know there's a special week every every month. But then at the end of the year, it's my favorite Tuesday night, and we call it familiarity prayer. You get that because you did family, the missionary, and you smash them. Because this is important. We want our families and we want our kids to understand and be engaged with God's mission and the mission that it, as it's happening and as we're living it out here at Midtown Baptist Temple. So on that Tuesday, we bring all the kids up, you know, except for the babies. We put the kids in the service with us. Um, if you weren't there this past Tuesday, then... Uh, you missed out on a few things. We had a kids choir that happened. And so we had we got to sing some kids songs. And that's good for us as adults. It's good for us as adults to see how our kids worship. It's good for us as adults to be stretched a little, to sing some different songs, um, to be told to clap or raise your hands. That's a stretch for some, maybe some of the older, less stretchy members of our church community. So we had a kids choir. That was a lot of fun. And then um, there was a short skit as well. If you were there, you know. If you weren't there, don't go, see, don't go looking for it. It's online, but it's all right. It was, it was a fun time. Um, if you could put up my PowerPoint. What I want to do is uh, we did... Braden went through and gave some statistics and just some information on missions, and I actually want to start there today and recap that. Uh, if you already heard it, that's okay. Stay tuned in uh, because it's still valuable information. If you missed out on Tuesday, uh, then today's your lucky day uh, to be here. You get the recap. MBT was became a church in 2007, and so we're really we're looking at what God has done from 2007 till now. Now the the church planting work started prior to that. Uh, these are the official years. That, that equals 15 years, right? Is that good math? Because we just did the anniversary. Just making sure I got my dates right. 
Do I have control? I have control. All right, so in 2007, we were born, and it took us a year to get our, uh, our first missions trip uh, accomplished. And in some ways, you go, you know, Braden said this on Tuesday night, they take about a year to figure out how to walk. And it took us about the same. It took us as a church about a year to figure out how to get up and to go somewhere else. And uh, we were able to send a team. Uh, you know, so on one hand, you go, okay, you know, you took some time, you figured out how to do missions. On another hand, it took us only a year. Like, this is a baby church getting people out on the mission field. And for, for me and for you, for us, that's an exciting thing. To know that there's a, there, here's a church that's just one year old, and I get that we came into it with some maturity. We have a pastor who had been a pastor, and we, you know, we had uh, some mature leaders already. And, um, you know, we, as I said, there'd been probably two years of church planting work going on prior to that. So, you know, it's not, it's not exactly, uh, you know, 2007 from zero was our start point. Um, but what we knew right away, what we knew as a baby church was that God's mission is important and that we as a body want to be involved in that. And really the only way that we as a body can is when we as individuals get involved in that because of the, you know, I mean, as a church, like we can give and we do, we give to missions, but we will be totally disconnected from the mission as individuals are not engaged in the mission as well. And so it was, it was just a year later. So it's just, uh, you know, this baby group on, and uh, from a baby church. And uh, that's our team. That was a, it was a 10-man team that went to El Salvador. El Salvador was, and, and again, baby steps. It was fairly easy. I had already lived in El Salvador for, um, you know, a year and a half prior to that. So we had a relationship there. Jim and Kathy Mel were the church planning missionaries there. Uh, they came out of the same church that we came out of. So there were a lot of things that made it, you know, an easy first step. El Salvador is basically straight south from here. It's a fairly easy travel. You don't got to do a bunch of time zones, um, you know. But it's also a big deal because we were able to get people on the mission field. Uh, this, this, this is the good looking side of the picture. That's me, if you can't see, I know this picture's a little fuzzy, too. That's me and Rosie. We were a month married, two months, six months married. I can't remember what, what date we went. I know what day I got married. I was in the fall then. I thought it was in the summer. That was the fall. All right, so we went on this trip. We were newlyweds. We went on this trip. Uh, this is our uh, Pastor Chris Best and his family. He's got five of the ten people on the team, and that's not even all his family. He could have made up the whole team. And then this is Deb Mulder. She's not in here with us today. We know Deb. She's a member of this fellowship as well. And then this is uh, now Tiffany Fife, my sister-in-law. She's married to my youngest brother. Um, and then this is Mark. This is Mark Beard. Mark was a part of our church plant uh, team as well. He's no longer here at this church. He's in another church across town. But when you look at this, here's another thing that's really exciting. Of the 10 people that went, nine of them are still actively engaged in the mission right here at this place. 15 years later, nine of those people are actively engaged. And here's how we know, you know, they're still actively engaged. Um, we led a team to Kenya this year. 
Well, Miles led the big team. We stayed in Kenya and we, we took on a smaller team, but we got to lead missions this year. Kylie Best, who was just a kid, uh, you know, at that time, a, a young adult, but um, she and her husband, Jeff, led a, led a team to Boston this year with, with high school and middle school students. So they're leading missions. Uh, Andrew Best is, is over our Kidtown ministry now, uh, also just a kid back then. He led a team to El Salvador this year. Andrew led a team. I got to go with Andrew uh, back to El Salvador earlier this year. Braden Best, the youngest on that team, was 10 at the time. Uh, He's leading a team to Kenya later this year. So, so, uh, you know, we still have missions going on this year. And then Pastor Chris and Christine, they were just in Kenya for a month as well. So, So they're leading missions. We're leading missions. Deb is frequently on missions trip. You know, she's been dealing with some health issues over the past year or so and hasn't been able to go, but actively engaged in the mission. And then uh, my sister as well uh, and my brother, they too are, are involved in missions and in missions trips. My brother was part of a team to go to uh, Toronto earlier this year and they're, and they're engaged with uh, the students as well. And I say all of that to say, look, one thing that we want to make sure that we're doing and the example is really right there in the middle. I know this is the good-looking side of the picture, but this is, this is the, maybe the more spiritual. This is the example portion of the picture right there in the middle. What we must be doing is making sure that we are getting the next generation, our children, both physically and spiritually, engaged in the mission with us. A big part of this team still being active in the mission today is the example of one father, one husband. Like I said, he could have filled that whole team with his, he only brought half of his kids. Um, but this is what we need. We need men and women, fathers and mothers, physically and spiritually, who are, who are inviting people into the mission with them and then leading them in that and training them up so that when 10-year-old Braden becomes 20-year-old Braden, I guess he'd be closer to 25 now. It's been 15 years. It's been 14 years since that. He's 24. That he's still engaged in the mission. And you don't need physical children to be a part of that or grandchildren. You need to be a disciple maker. If you're here and you're a, a part of this church, then, uh, then you at some level need to be growing. We had a cost of discipleship class uh, just this yesterday. Uh, the last one for the year. I actually found out some of you were in, in that class, and that's exciting. Uh, this is the first steps to you starting to grow. And once you grow, uh, you know what? You know where you're at? You were in COD yesterday? You're baby Braden. But that's okay. You're in a position to grow, and you've got a father, and you've got a mother spiritually who are going to lead you. So this picture is really exciting for me. And that's where we started uh, as a church. So this is just a, a graph showing the number of trips we took. Over the years, 2007, we were born. That's that first trip in 2008 to El Salvador, 2009. Took us, apparently, it took us a while to recover from that one trip. We had to take all of 2009 off. But steadily, God has been increasing uh, our involvement in missions over the years. We get to 2020 and 2021, and we decided to take a seeker-friendly model, I think, for, for those years. We just decided not to go. That's not true at all. Cut that from the recording. COVID hit, but... Even in that year, you know what? Churches went out of business and missions halted. We still took two trips in 2020. We, God was still opening doors and using us. And then uh, in, this, in this current year, 
we've had 14 big trips already uh, and we're not done. We still have a team going out to uh, Kenya again later this year. And that doesn't include all of the smaller trips, all of the two by two trips, uh, you know, all of the kind of, we had a few last minute trips that we didn't even plan where, you know, the pastor in Boston just called us and said, we need help uh, tomorrow. Can you, can you send us anyone? And then we asked our church and we sent four people, you know, and, and it's amazing to be a part of that kind of church where people are that committed to the mission that they can hear a message, an invitation on Tuesday night and can literally be on a plane on Thursday night or Friday morning going on the, on the mission. So that's exciting. Um, and that's where we're at. 100, about 125 people were on missions trips this year. That's about 20% of our church on the field. All right. Um, again, just the big trips. If we were to include all of the smaller, it'd be about double that. We would be close to half of our church body was on the mission field in the past year. Um, I think this is just a fun statistic. I, I built this for kids and I didn't change it for you. <laughs> That's why you got clouds and stars and it's all colorful. The youngest person who went on a mission trip from Midtown this past year was uh, Jeff Grasher's daughter. She was less than one year old when they took her to Boston with the, uh, with the kids team. The oldest person who went on a mission trip this past year was my father, who, who is 70, who's over 70. So we went from, from zero to 70 in terms of the age range on missions trips. And that's exciting uh, to, to me again, because you know what? What's the, what's the lifespan that God promised us uh, in, in Psalms? What did he say it would be? 70 years. We've got an entire life of, of missions involvement represented throughout our body over the course of just this past year. Now, it goes on to say, if by reason of strength, you get 80 years, um, you know, so some people are going to live and be strong later in life. Uh, and I think that's one thing that we as a church can be praying, that if by reason of strength, we can get a few people in their 80s out on the mission field, man, because you can't go the other direction. Like We can't get negative aged people. So if we're going to hit 80, we got to get some older people. Now, I know there's obviously some physical strategic challenges with that, but here's, here's you know, a, a word for those who are, who are, you know, if you're already getting older, it's a little late. I'm, I'm talking to people who are in their, in their 30s and their 40s right now. Steward your health well. Because once you hit 60 and 70 and 80, it's a little harder to dig out of a hole then. But this is what we want. We want people who are able to still be involved in the mission later into life. We need 70-year-olds going and investing. And we need 70-year-olds on the same team with our 22-year-old Kaya students. This team was led by Pastor Mitch Dobson to Toronto. It was mostly Kaya-age students and my dad. But the dynamic that, that, that Mitch talked about when he came back he said it was amazing. He said the trip wouldn't have been the same without your father there. We need an, a, a, a healthy, mature, older generation investing in our body as well. Right? And then we understand. Look, don't feel bad if, uh, you know, you slowed down in your, in your 60s, 70s, 80s. That's all right. Because our, our vision for missions is pray, prepare, give, go. And not everybody can go. Not everybody can go when you're 20. And you know, there's things in life that keep you from going. That's okay. Our, our, our desire 
is that 100% of the membership of Midtown is involved in missions. I told you nearly 50% went, but actually we're close to this. We're close to actually 100% of the members of Midtown being involved in missions through praying and giving and, and in preparation to go as well. And if you're new here and you're not a member at Midtown, um, know this. Um, well, you're welcome, man, to come and to, and to check out what's going on and take some time, figure out who we are. There's no pressure. Uh, the expectation isn't that you jump in and go on a missions trip with us if you're not a member here. Uh, you know what? It's, it's you figure out who we are and if this is where God is, is joining you too. But once you've become a member and you're growing and you're saying, this is my body, well, this is where uh, our heart is as a church, is that every member would be able to get involved in the missions work that God is doing at some level. So you can't go, hey, don't, well, I mean, you may be discouraged by that, but you know what? Redirect that energy and, and start helping to prepare someone who can. We traveled a million miles uh, on these big trips, you know, meaning, I, you know, I went 8,000 miles to Kenya, plus Rosie went 8,000 miles to Kenya. If you add up all these miles, as a people, we traveled a million miles. That's, that's a big number. I put that in there for kids. None of you are impressed, You're like whatever. <laughs> Kids are like, whoa, a million. That's 40 trips around the equator. Like if you were just, to, what's a million miles? You want to put that in perspective, go around the earth at the equator 40 times. Or if we wanted to, we could plant a church on the moon. That's how far we traveled. We could go to the moon and back twice. Like we could have done an exploratory trip and then we could have come back and been like, that's it. We're, we're sure, Chris Miller, you're moving to the moon. Go. If anyone could get a work going on the moon, it would be Chris. I don't trust anyone else with that mission field. But, uh, you know, if Elon Musk figures it out, we'll be ready. So 2023, what does it look like in 2023? Well, number one, um, our goal is not to be more sensational, you know, at the end of the year, meaning we don't need more numbers. I don't care if we have 11 trips next year and you go, but that's a decrease. You did worse. That doesn't mean we did anything different or worse. It just, that's not a decrease. But the goal isn't to say, well, we had 600 people go on the mission field. It's not about that. See, the goal is that we would, as a church and as individuals, that we would be in tune with how the spirit is leading and that we would go and we would invest our time and our resources into those areas where God is taking us. Now that will absolutely 100% I can guarantee it if we are listening to the Holy Spirit it will stretch us it will stretch us as a church and as individuals God will ask you to do something that that will be difficult out of your comfort zone because that's how growth works I don't know if you remember being like you know 10 12 14 and having growth spurts like Maybe you got kids, they wake up and they're just crying in the middle of the night. Like, my legs hurt. Why do your legs hurt? I don't know. It's because you're growing. Like growth hurts. And this is what we're asking God individually. And this is what I would challenge you with as we're moving into, you know, mission focused season, December, everything really for me, my role is, is, is in missions. For me, everything after uh, all church retreat ends, like the day we get back from all church retreat, we're in mission season. I shift my focus to that. 
but we're in December. Mission focus is coming up at the end of this month. So we want to start getting ready for mission focus so that by the time mission focus gets here, you guys are not, um, you know, ramping up, you're on board and you're ready to hear what God is saying. And I, and I would start it by, by telling you this, God wants to stretch you. Following the Holy Spirit in 2023 will stretch you. There will be things about it that will be challenging, maybe in terms of personal growth, maybe in terms of budgeting, maybe in the way that you have to manage your time, maybe in you know, the job that you have to take or pass up, and, uh, and in all kinds of ways that will happen in your personal life, the way you have to interact with your spouse and your kids and, and school decisions. There's all these things that God will stretch you in, but he will also stretch you in how are you committed to and engaged in his mission. If we have 11 missions trips and 100 people on the mission field next year, and we have been obedient to the Lord, then we will get to the end of 2023 and we will praise the Lord for that. I really anticipate that we'll have two missions trips next year, and then we'll all be on this missions trip to heaven. We'll all get, just get raptured early on. No more missions no mission trips. <laughs> So make sure missions focus is on your calendar. The end of this year, 28th through the 31st. It's here. We host it. We had a few uh, pastors and friends, speakers coming in that will challenge us in the mission. There'll be evening services, and then there'll also be morning sessions as well. So if you, you know, typically work during the week, uh, you've got about a month to put in for some time off. You want to try to be here. Thursday morning, Friday morning. We're going to have morning sessions going on. There'll be breakouts covering all different topics. Uh, I'm with a group that's doing missions prep. Uh, so if you think that God is leading you towards missions or you're curious about that, you can join us in the missions prep breakout. But there's um, Discovery Bible Method breakouts. There's uh, Friends of, of International's uh, breakout. There's Church Planning breakout. There's a, oh, what do they call it? I was about to say the senior citizens class, but that's that's the wrong way to say it. Finishing strong. There's there's a finishing strong class. You know, there's 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 ways to get everybody engaged. There's a student ministry breakout. Uh, there's there's something that you need to be a part of because God wants to use you in His mission in the next year. All right, that's what we talked about Tuesday. Now today, I want to take a minute to talk about authority. Okay. And I'm going to start by telling you this. Did I put this on a slide? Of course I did. We fail, we will fail to engage in God's mission. And we do fail to engage in God's mission because we fail to submit to authority. Authority in the Bible is a big deal. And when we're talking about the mission, and we're talking about being engaged and being involved, I can guarantee you this. If God does not have authority in your life, then the mission will not be valuable to you. Okay? When we step out from under God's authority, even if we're doing the routines of missional activity, mission work, it won't actually, you won't actually be engaged in God's mission. Because you cannot be engaged in God's mission without being submitted to the God of the mission. Get that? 
And so sometimes, you know, we look at our lives and we reflect and, and this would be a good week to do that. You can look back at 2022 and you could say, well, what was my involvement in God's mission? And what hindered me from being involved? And you might say, well, it was busyness. Or if you're honest, you might say, well, it was laziness. You know, some, I, I think I'm just maybe a lazy person or maybe it was distraction or maybe it was disorganization. And, I, you know, I, I don't think at the core that any of those things are actually the reason why you weren't involved. You say, well, I'm just lazy and disorganized. You, that may be true. You may be lazy and disorganized, but it's not because at the core it's a, it's a laziness or, or organizational issue. I would, I would argue that at the core it's an authority issue. Because if you're willing to submit wholly to God's authority, even if you're not by nature an organized person, you're going to figure out how to get organized so that you can be obedient to the authority that's over you. You may not be a, a, you know, a, a, a type A go-getter, and you don't need to be, but you will at least figure out how to not be lazy so that the work can get done. You know, same thing is true in, in your profession, maybe. Maybe you just got these completely disconnected bosses. You may not even love your job. Here's something I learned about um, my father's generation that is very different from, let's say, my younger brother's generation. This, this younger brother's generation, the current generation, there's this, there's this idea that's been going around for, I don't know, 10 years or so now. Do what you love. You got to find something you love, and that's what you do. And so since I'm not doing what I, you know, the job I have, I don't love. So I just quit. I don't need a job until I find my love. Find your passion. And I don't agree with that philosophy um, because the instruction of the Lord is clear. Uh, if you want to eat, you go get a job and you work. Nowhere did he tell you you have to love it. And, and I learned that from my father's generation and talking to men a, 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 of his age, you know what? They worked jobs for, for 20, 30, 40 years and they kept them and they were faithful to them. And at the end of it, I've talked to my dad and, you know, my dad actually did like his job, but I've talked to other men in that generation. And go, I never loved my job. No one said I had to love my job. I had to feed my family. I had to put shoes on my kids' feet and I had to do all of these things. And you know what they recognized? They had, it didn't, you know, it wasn't a choice to, to be lazy. Because I had to be submitted to, to something more important, to an authority that said I have to do this. And I think, you know, I think this will boil down a lot of our problems. If you really start to look at it in terms of authority, why, why don't you want to commit to reading, you know, God's word? Well, because you don't think God is, is the authority in your life. Ah, well, it's hard, you know, I fall asleep. Well, it's because he's not the authority in your life. If he was, you'd read his word because he tells you to. And then you'd fall in love with it, amazingly. All right, so I want to give you a few uh, quick points on authority. And then hopefully we can do this real fast because I don't want us to take a few minutes in, in groups and look at some missionaries in the Bible. Number one, God has all authority. God has all authority. Genesis chapter one and verse one. Who knows what it says? You could say it before I even open up to it. Somebody could. Somebody could. In the beginning, nobody can because I kept talking. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Period. Well, it's actually not a period. Um, you know, it is a period, but he goes on and, and talks more about it. But from the very beginning, very first verse in the Bible, God is telling you that he has power, that he is the creator. He is over all things. And as you go on and you read through the Bible, you see, because he is creator, he has authority. He had the authority to make it, and he maintains the authority to rule over it. All authority belongs to God. 
Genesis 14, 22, Abraham makes that same declaration uh, that he is the creator the, 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 of heaven and earth. And Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 39 and 40, is, as, as you know, the law is being given, and, and really as you get into Deuteronomy 4 and 5, it's, it's a charge to fathers, it's a charge to disciple makers to, to have generational fruit. Take things and teach them unto your children. And Deuteronomy 4, 39 and 40 tells you why. Why? Because he is creator of heaven and earth, because he owns it all, because he has the authority. And in light of that authority, he has given you commands to follow. Acts chapter 17, verse 24, uh, the same declaration is made in the New Testament um, by Paul. There you go, I could have helped you out. Psalm 62 and verse 11 says this, God has spoken once, twice, it's about to fall on the ground. Twice have I heard this, that the power belongeth unto God. Authority is his. And, and, and so he has it all. And this is an important place to start, an important place to recognize is that God has, is the one, the only one that has the right to have final say over everything in my life. He has all authority. Number two, does give authority though. God has created institutions. God has given authority to individuals. You see this throughout scripture in Romans chapter 13, um, verses one through six or seven. Uh, he tells us that he gives authority, he established you know, local government and authority. Um, and in multiple places, you see him giving authority to men, uh, to reign. In Jeremiah chapter 27, uh, in verse five, he tells us this, I have made the earth. So it goes back to that all authority thing. The man, the beast that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it to whom it seemed meet to me. So God does give authority uh, to others, which gives us, you know, uh, a kind of an extension of that point. But it's an important way to make application of it is this. All authority outside of God's authority is delegated authority. You understand that? The authority that you have, none of it is innate to you. It was given to you. You're a father given to you by the Lord. Be head of the house. Be head over the woman. You're a pastor. I have been given in authority by the Lord. You know, even in, you know, in, in your workplaces and any, any type of authority structure you want to look at, if you remember this, that the authorities that you, that you have is delegated by the Lord, not by, you know, the government, not by your boss, per se. You're a mid-level manager. You go, well, my boss gave me the authority. No, he didn't. God did. Because that's where all authority comes from. Now, that, that changes things when we recognize that becomes real personal when i fail to exercise my authority as a father or as a pastor or as a, you know a, a bible study leader uh, as a disciple or any areas where i have a little bit of authority when i fail to do that then then i'm failing not just uh you know maybe a system or just the people i'm failing the lord I am disobedient. I myself am outside of the bounds of the authority that was given to me. 
In Matthew chapter 26, you get an example of this. I, I don't think I put it up there because it's too long. Yeah, okay. Um, but Matthew 26, 62 to 64, uh, you can write the reference. But Jesus is on trial, a sham trial, right? And demanded an answer. You claim to be God. You know, these people said that you're going to, you know, rebuild the temple, all, all these things. And Jesus doesn't answer a word. Remember that? Then the high priest says, I adjure thee in the name uh, of the Lord, in the name uh, of God. I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus answered that question. And why is that? Because it speaks to authority. Because when the man was speaking, when a governor was speaking to him, when men were demanding by their authority that he respond, he didn't have to. I don't have to submit to that authority because actually I am your authority. I have, I have superiority over you. But when, when, when the magistrate asked him and said, I adjure thee by the authority of God, would you and Then he decided to speak. He said, let me show you something. Even Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry and the, and the Father and the Son and the Spirit models for us submission to Because this is important. Because submission to authority is submission to God. Which would mean that rebellion to authority is rebellion to. Mm -hmm. Colossians 3. 22 to 25. Servants. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. This is a tough verse. Obey in all things your masters according to the uh, flesh, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily. We teach this, kid, this, this verse to our kids. Do it heartily as, what's it say? Oh, and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the, of the inheritance. For ye serve, for ye serve the Lord Christ. See how he did that? When you're serving your masters, you're serving the Lord Christ. So is really submission to God, rebellion to authority is really rebellion to God. And when we look at it in the missions context, and we look at how does God want to lead me? We, then we have to start looking at the, the principles that God lays out in his word. And it's, it's, you know, it's easier to see there. When God tells us something and we don't do it, we know we're being disobedient. We're being rebellious to God. In terms of the mission, uh, you know, I think over the next year, God is going to challenge you. God is going to stretch you. God is going to ask you to get involved uh, at a level that you've not been involved before. And some of you will respond and say yes. And some of you will respond and say no. And you'll think, oh, you know, I'm not ready to submit to the church that way. Wrong. You're not ready to submit to the Lord that way. He's the one that's leading. Um, I want to share a quick story with you. It's not my story, but I think it's an interesting one. I was teaching, I was teaching in missions uh, two yesterday in LFBI. And we were talking about women in missions and, and the role that God has. And I'll just say this from the very beginning, Genesis, Adam, 
and Eve and gave them a mission. God has always had a role for women in missions, okay? Ladies, always had a role for women in missions. And you want to do a fun study? Just look at the women in the New Testament in the early church and look at how God is using them, right? I mean, you could do it through the whole Bible. But God has always had a role for women in missions, all right? So you're, you got a place to get involved and be involved in the mission too. The mission field right now statistically is and has for quite a while looked like this. Uh, it said that two-thirds of missionaries are married couples, one-third are single and the rest are single men. Anybody good at math? Anybody figure that out? That's almost what it looks like. So there's a whole lot of single women and there's very few single men on the mission field. Elizabeth Elliott was, was talking with a, another missionary whose name I can't recall. Um, but this lady was then in her 70s at the time of the conversation, had been single on the mission field her entire life, but was very frank uh, and, and said in this interview, she said, I always wanted to get married. I, I wanted a husband. I went to the mission field early because God was leading me and I wasn't going to say no to the authority of the Lord. Even though she wanted a husband, this desperately. And, and while she was in India, she said she prayed to the Lord specifically and said, Lord, you need to speak to a man in England. She was from England herself. So you need to speak to a man in England. You need to tell him to move to India to be a missionary. You need to bring him to my city. And, and then he needs to propose to me. You send him, I'll say, yes, I need a husband. This was her prayer. And then she said, and I believe that God answered my prayer. God heard my prayer. God answered my prayer. And God spoke. in India, and that man refused to follow the Lord. That was her perspective on her life of singleness. Maybe she's just angry at men. <laughs> I don't think so. I think she's probably right. Um, the God is calling people to engage in his mission all across, you know, our city, all across our church, all across and many of them will say no. At small levels and at large levels, God is calling us to be stretched and to, and to follow his authority. And if we want to have an eternal impact, if we want to have uh, a life, then at the very core of it, we've got to say, God gets to be the authority in my life, no matter what, no matter how hard that is, no matter what he calls and asks, no matter how it stretches me and challenges me. I want us to take some time uh, in Acts chapter 18. So I want you guys to go to Acts 18 and, uh, and look at a couple, a couple things. Really, you're just going to focus on, on Aquila and Priscilla. So if you also have a, you know, a, a Bible study tool on your phone, then you can plug Priscilla's name in there or Aquila's name in there because they appear a few other places in Scripture as well. But what we're going to do is we're going to get in groups. And I want you guys to do a, a you know, a 15 minute um, just group look at Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, and in relation to the mission. Who are both involved in the mission. Look at the way that they're referenced in scripture. Look at their submission to authority. And then also, you know, I just uh, I want to I want you to see, too, just the role uh, of a woman and missions too. We've got a lot of women in this room, married and single. Um, God has a role for each of you in his mission.
right? So as we get into groups, uh, if, if you know this is something you're uncomfortable with, let's get into a bigger group. If you're not comfortable with contributing and talking, that's okay. Just let some other people in your group contribute and talk. This last time we did this, but if you are comfortable with talking, uh, if you're too comfortable with talking, listen to your authority right now. Practice, practice closing your mouth for a few minutes so other people can talk too, all right? Don't dominate. We want, every, we want to hear from everyone who wants to contribute. But as a group, do, let's just spend the next 15 minutes uh, looking at these, these two people and looking how, you know, how did God move them? Some of it was difficult. Where did they go? What decisions did they make? Oh, you know what? Since you're there, we should 17. Just turn back one page. I think in terms of how the mission works, and uh, did I say 17? I didn't mean it. 14, 15, 15. I don't know numbers very well. Tax 15, verse 34. So this is in, you know, um, one of Paul's missionary journeys. And they're on the move quite frequently. Acts chapter 16, verse 34. Notwithstanding there still silas has made a decision he's part of this missions team but they're 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 doing a work uh and and here you know they you know they're they're plugged in as silas says this is a good place this is a good ministry i'm gonna stay here for a while already and uh i don't want the takeaway to be um, you know, them trying to pump up my authority or the church's authority has a big authority, should have a big authority in your life. God is the ultimate authority. You want to submit to that. But God also allows for individual, you know, soul liberty. Go the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead. All right, so Silas makes this decision. I'm going to stay. Cool. And then Paul also and Barnabas continue in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord and many others also. In verse 36, some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, and then this is where they split because they can't figure out who they want to take with them. And so there's some contention. Verse 40, and Paul chose Silas and departed. Wait, Silas just decided he was going to stay. And he did for some days until Paul said, you know what? I need you to come with me. And what was Silas's response? You're the authority. I'm going to trust the word from you as if it were the word for the Lord. And I'm going to go. And Silas goes. I thought Silas wanted to stay. Well, Silas wanted to follow the Lord more than that. When the decision to say was okay, he did it. And when he was uh, told by he did it. So I'll, I'll just set you up. Make some groups, you know, three, four, five, seven, whatever. Three might be too small. And we'll take about 15 minutes and then I'll jump back up and wrap us up. But let's jump into Acts 18, look at Aquila, Priscilla, uh, and look at them throughout the scripture. All right, it's it's um it's 30. It's time for us to um praise the Lord. Bless you. See you next week. See you Tuesday.